Good morning, everybody. I hope everyone's doing well. Thank you for joining me. So real quick, couple of housekeeping items. One, I don't know when I'm going to stream or when I'm not going to stream. I'm going to try to do it in the morning. I have a schedule where I'm taking care of kids and running them around all over creation. So um, when they go to school, I have about an hour or two where I can um, sit here and go over some stuff for you all and, and um, you know, stream some content. So um, I don't really know. It's usually nine between nine and 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I don't know if I'm going to do it every day yet. Um, so far, I've been doing it fairly frequently, but uh, we'll see how that goes. I'll, once I kind of get a schedule and a routine set and I'm comfortable with it, then I'll, I'll post some schedule that I'll try my best to stick to. Um, second thing is I've been going over review articles, which are on the, on the hierarchy of, of content or evidence is at the top of the list or very, very high to the top of the, of the pyramid for the hierarchy of evidence. And I realized that maybe I should go over the hierarchy of evidence at some point to explain to people what the uh, purpose is and <clears throat> what the value is. Hey, Gray Fox. Um, so I am in negotiations with a, a research dean at a university here in the United States to go over the hierarchy of evidence and explain um, how we... Um, I don't know, categorize evidence or rank evidence in terms of its value. So the, the two or three or four uh, uh, streams that I've done so far have all been towards the higher end of like quality of, of evidence because they're review articles. They're articles that are reviewing um, the literature and providing, um, you know, opinions or summarizations of the body of literature on a topic, like say, for example, the um, chelated iron um, publication that was a summation of a lot of different pieces of literature. So we would value that quite a bit higher than in any um, individual piece of, of literature. Um, but I realized that might not be common knowledge. <clears throat> Excuse me, I have something going on with my, my voice today. Um, so I'm going to go over that, uh, on a, and I don't know if it's going to be this week, but sometime in the next week or two, I'm going to go over it. I, I'm thinking I can get one of the deans of research to, um, go with me on a stream. I'm not exactly sure how to do that. I'm not very, very versed on all this stuff, but I'm going to try to have the dean, um, with me and have the dean explain, you know, with me the, the, um, Ex, you know, explanation of what is evidence and how do we value evidence and what does it mean when um, we we talk about literature reviews and all that stuff. So look forward to that. I'm going to try to get that done in the next week or two, depending on the dean's schedule. So I'll, I'll, I'm doing my best to kind of get that scheduled. Um, third piece of home uh, uh, housekeeping we got to go. I need. I would like to go over is. Um, I have a, let me see if I can open it up. I have um, opened up the uh, ability for you all, if you if you want to, to have meetings with me individually via a, um, 
a system called Calendly, which is a horrible name for, for a sorry Calendly, but it's difficult to pronounce. Let me see if I can pull this up and explain it to you all. So basically, if you all have questions or you have fertility programs or soil questions or um, I don't know, um, soil test interpretation questions, or you want somebody who um, who uh, can explain or interpret certain things for you to help you in your management program, um, I have that available for a fee. It's not free. Um, but I, I've, I've, I'm basically providing an opportunity. If you want to sit down, we can do a webcam together and we can go over all the questions you have about fertility and turf grass nutrition and fertilizers and blending and all those things. And, and for the fee that I'm charging, it's 50 bucks. You go in, you can see my calendar. You can, uh, if the time's available on the calendar, then you can select it. If it's not available, then it's already been booked. Um, uh, but you can go through there. Um, and for the fee, I, th I think you'll save that much money for sure if you're a business. Um, um, but anyway, it's there if you want to um, take advantage of it. It's called Calendly slash Travis Shaddix. Go there and you can just basically click on this this link. You can see the calendar. You can select whatever date you want. Let's say you want to meet with me tomorrow. Or what is today? Tuesday. So let's say you want to meet with me tomorrow. You click on Wednesday. These are the times that I have available right now. I have most times um, before lunch, basically Eastern time. And then I have a couple of times after in the evening, if you're working all day and you want to sit down at nine or 10 o'clock at night and go over some stuff. Um, I have those times available too. So basically you can see the times are exactly when I'm not with my kids, they're either in bed or they're at school. So um, if you want to take advantage of that, take advantage of that, and um, feel free to feel free to jump on there and, and and you know, if you want to talk to me individually and go over your specific stuff, feel free to do that. Um, that's it for today on terms of like the housekeeping. What I'm going to go over today is a. A, a paper, a traditional research paper, which is really my intent for all this stuff is to have an uh, opportunity to go over one paper. Like I said, all the other ones have been review papers of papers. So um, I'm going to go over this paper. There was a question um, in one of the YouTube chats. I can't remember which video it was. It was about uh, fall applied nitrogen to warm season grasses. Um, I'm going to get to that uh, at some point. Thank you for the person who made that uh, request or comment. Uh, today, I'm going to be going over specifically fall applied nitrogen to, to Bermuda grass. So this is one paper that has one objective and one conclusion and it's a traditional paper. Um, we're going to go over that uh, briefly, but as we as we do in most cases, let's try to um, show you how to even go find this. So if you're not a member of the ASA, the American Society of Agronomy or Crop Science Society of America, um, that's, that's fine, but that's where I find a lot of my articles. So if you wanted to find this article, if you wanted to search for it, that's where I would go. I'd go to crop science. You go to menu publications, journals, and you can just click on journals and a bunch of journals will pop up down here. It doesn't really matter which one you click on. Cause I'm going to show you how to search all of them, but you go to crop science. You can click on this search menu and then it says this journal or it says ASA. This is American Society of Agronomy, Crop Science Society of America or Soil Science Society of America journals. So you can just click on that and search and you can click. I'm going to end up going to the advanced. Well, let me just do advanced right now. I'm going to end up going there anyway. So you can just type in like if you wanted to know fall applied potassium or something, you would just type in potassium 
um, Bermuda grass. I haven't even tried this yet, so <laughs> hopefully it works. Um, potassium Bermuda grass and cold resistance or something. I don't know. Let's see what happens. And you'll see a, a, the articles that have those anywhere in the article pop up. And I got, I did not do this beforehand. I swear. Okay. I didn't test this. Um, but this is the article we're going to go over potassium fertilization. So if you want to know fall applied nitrogen to tall fescue or something, just type those in individually in those cells and then you'll see the articles pop up. And so this is the article we're going to go over. I'm going to click on it. I'm almost certain that it's, it's behind a paywall. Um, I'm almost certain it's behind a paywall. So yes, it is. So, um, if you, we're just going to go back. And I'm going to go over the, the abstract. So if you don't want to pay for it, again, you can go to the library, you go to public libraries, your university libraries. There's a lot of ways you can get these articles. Um, you can also join the ASA and you have access to all their content. Um, but if you don't, you can read the abstract and get quite a bit of information from it. Okay. Um, I, I suggest you at minimum do that, but, um, the details of how they did it and the value to you might be, um, greater if you downloaded the article and, and read the article, but anyway, the abstract. So this, uh, this will explain generally the, the abstracts are written in a, in a very succinct format of the overall article. So there'll be one or two sentences of explanation of why it's important. There'll be one or two sentences of what they did one or two sentences of the results, and then one or two sentences of the conclusions. So that's how abstracts are written. So the first sentence is, applications of high rates of potassium are often made in an attempt to increase winter hardiness of Bermuda. So that is the observation. Okay. Potassium is being applied in the fall to Bermuda grass to increase the winter hardiness. Okay. You can read through this whole thing, which I'm not going to do. I'm going to skip through it. We want to know how was it done. It was a field study. It was applied to Tiff Dwarf in Tiff Way. So we're automatically talking about putting greens and say home lawns or fairways or roughs. So I don't, I don't know how they manage the Tiff Way, but this is a, a higher cut grass. And then I want to know what type of potassium they applied. Potassium chloride or potassium sulfate were compared as sources. So this has also been a question that's been going on occasionally and whether it's in Discord or whether it's in my YouTube chat about the differences between potassium sources. And in general, what I've been communicating to people is that we almost never see a difference between these two sources. A lot of people like to sell the um the benefit of applying potassium sulfate in terms of its reduction of salt index or the burn potential using potassium sulfate relative to potassium chloride. And that is true. It has a lower salt index. That's not debatable. But when it comes to applying those two sources to, to Bermuda grass, do we actually see any detrimental effect applying potassium chloride or beneficial effect applying potassium sulfate? And the answer is almost never. Okay. Occasionally we'll see chloride be better. Occasionally we'll see sulfate be better, but in general, we don't see differences between these. Okay. And that's assuming a number of things. Obviously we're assuming the soil has adequate sulfur. You know, if you have inadequate sulfur, then your potassium sulfate is probably going to give you a better response. But in general, the difference between these two potassium sources is is very little when it comes to measuring its response, the turf grass's response to those potassium sources. Okay. In general, clearly there's cases both ways. Okay. But when it comes to what, well, I don't ever apply potassium. I've never applied potassium on my home lawn in my life. Okay. <laughs> because I, because I know the benefit is so low, it's not worth the money in most cases, but 
if I were going to apply potassium chloride, whether it's on St. Augustine grass or Bermuda grass or tall fescue or whatever it is, I would most likely, especially in lawn care situations, I would most likely use potassium chloride because it's the least expensive source. If there were some good reason to switch to potassium sulfate, a good reason being clearly I've seen a burn with potassium chloride when applied at normal rates, then I would consider adjusting to potassium sulfate. But until then, I'm going to go with the most cost-effective source, and that's potassium chloride. So they use potassium chloride and potassium sulfate in this study. Okay, it was applied twice monthly. It was and were applied with. Oh, I should say with nitrogen twice monthly on with twice monthly in applications. Okay, so they applied it with nitrogen, which is generally what we recommend. Okay, we're going to skip down. Da, 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 da. Applications of high rates of potassium had no effect on predicted lethal temperature of plant regrowth. Lethal temperature of, tif- of plant regrowth. There's a period missing in there, I think, um, of plant regrowth. So it had no effect on the regrowth uh, of Bermuda grass following um, lethal temperatures as they were met. The high rates, where is it at? The high rates appear to not increase Bermuda grass rhizome cold resistance. So they measured cold resistance as a, as a from a, a rhizome. Therefore, there may be no benefit to using rates beyond those that provide sufficient K levels for normal growth. In other words, what they concluded was applying greater amounts of potassium in the fall, like fall winterizer fertilizer didn't provide any benefit in this study. Okay, we're going to go over it a little bit more detail now. Okay, but the, if you all you do is go to crop science and look at the abstract, I think there's some uh, um, value in just reading the abstract in terms of providing you with confidence that reducing potassium in the fall or eliminating potassium in the fall in some instances may uh, may not have a negative impact on your on your bruner grass and in fact it seems like applying it in the fall um, is is a waste of money in, in many cases for Bermuda grass okay so let's jump over to the actual article and we will start going over um, the actual article I want to go over this so everybody understands exactly um, what happened and what they what the researchers did okay so, and when you read through articles, and again, the review articles were slightly different, but in most articles, you're going to have an introduction. This this first section here, Bermuda grass is one of the more widely da da da. It starts very general, talking about the observation or the situation that the researchers observed, um, and why they decided to go into this um, research study. Okay, and generally, you'll read through here. You'll talk. It'll have a little bit of literature review about what has happened in the past, what people have observed, what what researchers have found, and so forth. And then at the end, in most cases, not always, but in the, usually in the end of the introduction, we'll have a sentence something like, "Therefore, the objectives of the study were X." Or sometimes you'll see the word "aim." You'll see the aim of this study was to do X. In some rare cases, which I actually wish we would do more. You might see it um, um, uh, worded like the hypothesis of this study was X or the null hypothesis was X. That's I think that's I'd be I'd feel more comfortable with that sort of wordage, but verbiage in scientific literature. But nevertheless, it's all saying the same thing. And that's right here. The objective of this study was to evaluate two Bermuda grass cultivars field grown on high sand based soil mix in a native soil. For the influence of applied K on cold resistance. 
so that's the hypothesis so then so they want to know you know what is going to happen to bermuda grass in terms of its ability to res resist or um uh, recover from uh, lethal temperatures cold temperatures um as as influenced by applied potassium okay so we're going to get into this a little bit more detail a three-year study so that's excellent in in scientific literature in in the and i'm going to at some point in the future i'm going to go over the ranking of journals because just because it's in a journal doesn't mean anything really i mean you have to know what type of journal it is is it it doesn't have an impact factor is it a reputable journal in, in our discipline or not there's many many journal articles that um i have basically no confidence in. doesn't mean it's not true doesn't mean it's not useful but because of the journal that it's in i know that the review process is not very good and therefore the content that's in that article may be suspect okay crop science is not one of those crop science is at the top tier of our publication standards and for crop science you have to have a minimum of two years in field studies to get it published because what happens in one year may not happen in the next year. And so if there's a difference, that needs to be explained. Okay, so in this study, it says a three-year study to accomplish the state objectives, right here above, was initiated in Auburn. Okay, so we're talking Auburn, Alabama. Bermuda grass in Auburn, Alabama. So it's sort of the southern end of the transition zone. I think it's probably still in the transition zone. Maybe somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. But that's where they did it. It was a factorial design, which I won't go into. That's statistical stuff. Treatments using potassium chloride and potassium sulfide, are, uh, and five rates were applied to Bermuda grass plots. Um, oh, hey, Looney. Yeah, we're we're doing this live. And there, and just so you know, Looney commented, "Good morning." I didn't I didn't realize these were recorded live. There's only one reason why I'm recording this live because I have no idea how to load videos on YouTube. I don't know what I'm doing. So I tried to tried to record it and then I went to go load it. I'm like, man, this seems difficult. And then so I did it live and it just automatically loads. <laughs> so unless somebody wants to help explain to me how to record these and edit these and do all this stuff live, then and then I'm going to do them live. So hopefully I don't make or say anything silly or say anything that I regret because it's all live. It's going out. Uh, so anyway, potassium rates of 0, 12, 24, 49, 98. No, da, da, da. So kilograms per hectare is very uncommon for most people. Just remember 49 is one pound per thousand square feet. So 24 is going to be a half a pound. 12 is a quarter pound. 98 two pounds and so forth 195 is four pounds so just remember even if you just say 50 say 49 or 50 if it's easier to remember kilograms per hectare is one pound per thousand square feet so maybe that helps you understand if, if you don't know that already per growing month on native soils and then here's the rates they used on sand peat so they did one apparently on a putting green and then one on a native soil and it looks like the um the k rates on the putting green they had a 390 so they did a little bit higher rate on the on the putting green. Okay. Since cultivars were not replicated, the study was analyzed as a split plot in space using nested variations as an error term to measure differences between grasses. That is, to the average person, this is uh, statistics jargon that <laughs> makes no sense. This was acceptable back then. Just so you know, this what 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 he's saying is what the what Dr. Miller is saying here is that. There was no replication of grasses. They did one study on one plot of Tiff Dwarf, and they did another study on one plot of Tiff Way. 
um, one probably on a fairway area of Auburn and one on a putting green at Auburn. And because there's no replication, they just did one here and one there. They did they analyze it as a split plot. That was allowable back then. Okay, but because there's no randomization of the main effect being turf grass in this case, um, it's it's no longer allowed to do that. He probably knows that now. It's no longer you're no longer allowed to um, to merge these. Um, because the location, you have two compounding factors. You have a location, which is even if it's right next to each other, they're separated. And that location is compounded by the species. So we're no longer allowed to merge these. You'd have to publish one study and then publish another study. You can do it in the same publication, but, but analyze one study and analyze no study. So you can't do that now. Statistical jargon. You probably don't need to know about that anyway. Um, Initial Malik 1 extractable potassium. So they did Malik 1, which is most common back then in many, many cases. They didn't do Malik 3, and that's fine. Um, but Malik 1 extractable K concentrations were 36 and 15. Okay. I don't know the exact conversion on this soil in this uh, situation from Malik 1 to Malik 3. Um, I will say that Malik 3 will generally extract greater amounts of, of potassium. So where I'm going with this is... This 36, I don't know if Malik 3 would be 40 or 50. I don't know what it would be. Um, but it's probably going to be on the low end of what we would consider to be acceptable or or um, um, suitable or enough potassium for the, for the turf. So I, I'm glad that they showed this because, and especially on the putting green, 15, where it's probably low enough to see a potassium response. The actual Malik 3 might be 25 or 20, something around that number, 30 maybe. It might be 40 or 50 for this 36. I don't know. It's not. You can't just make a one-to-one -one conversion there unless you have a, a correlation. Um, but it is low. The soils they used were low in potassium. That's critical to understand because if they were average or high, the application of potassium didn't see a response. Well, it's not going to see a response because the soil potassium was already so high. In this case, they start they had a location that potassium was low. Uh, phosphorus was applied to sandpeat media. So what this is basically saying is that so they're 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 applying phosphorus and they applied micronutrients all this other stuff and they applied the next the next uh, paragraph they're talking about weed control. They're talking about how they manage the plots to minimize all the other variables except potassium. So in research we do our in field studies for sure. I mean it's very difficult to to um, keep everything in check except the variable you're measuring, which in this case is potassium and um, turf species. Okay, you're, you're trying to make sure that the, the absence of um, magnesium, for example, isn't altering your data unknowing to you. So you go ahead and you apply these products, you apply weed control, you do these things to minimize the effect it's having that could somehow skew your data un, unfairly. So you'll see all this stuff in where they're talking about what they did to manage the plots. And then they basically, what they're saying is they're holding everything as best they can accountable. And then only looking at the potassium as it goes up and down. They talk about the sampling dates. Um, da, 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 da. Let's see one. Okay. One plot only plots that received the three highest K rates for each soil type were evaluated in this portion of the study because the capacity limitations of the ethylene glycol bath or because of the limitation. So 
the lethal temperatures that they they measured, they were only able to measure from the top five or top three potassium rates because in in research and there's a practicality to research. You can you only have so much space and so much money, and at some point you realize we don't have the ability to analyze every single sample. Okay, we're not we're not in medicine or ag where we're rolling in money. So in this case, they only selected the potassium uh, rates that were at the high end. Uh, and they go through and explain the higher rates were chosen since previous research indicates that normal applications of potassium to Bermuda grass defic- deficient in K can increase as the grass told so, so they so they said normal applications. So they went to the high rates to see if more potassium provides a concomitant increase in cold resistance. So they explain that and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, rhizomes sampled randomly from the turf within each K-treated area were trimmed to this da-da-da and roots removed, washed in cold water and placed on ice. So they they basically removed the rhizome and they put them on ice and they measured the cold resistance from just the rhizomes themselves. Okay, so they go through and explain all the process that they did to to do that. And then they, and they measured it through electrolyte leakage, okay, which is a common way of measuring cold resistance and then here's how they actually they tell you how they did it percent electrolyte electrolyte leakage at each temperature was defined as this percent el equals the initial uh, ec which uh, is electrical conductivity they define that down here divided by the final ec times 100 okay lethal temperatures were determined by this model and they tell you how to do it okay so that explains how they measured lethal temperatures Okay, I just want to make sure, I just uh, want to go through that so you have an understanding. It's in Auburn with two turf grasses, with four or five different potassium rates, with two potassium sources, and they show you exactly, or they talk about exactly how they went about measuring lethal temperatures. Okay, Um, oftentimes this is, well, every time for me, it's critical to understand what they did so that the conclusions and the, and the, the discussion are are interpreted within that context okay so you understand every study has limitations you can't just go out and say oh dr miller found this so it's the case in every situation no you need to read what he did and understand you know how they went about measuring this so that you can you can have confidence that in this situation this is what happens so it's likely to occur in another situation where that is similar to it okay okay uh model okay um, I'm not sure why I highlighted that. That's more statistic stuff. Regrowth rates taken at four weeks were based on a zero to 10 scale with zero indicating no regrowth and 10 indicating vigorous regrowth. So he measured regrowth subjectively. Okay. He measured it by looking at it and provi- assigning a value. And I've, I've got this question occasionally is like, um, isn't there a way to do objective measurements on turf? Yes, there is. There's photos and there's all sorts of stuff. We've, a lot of people have done a lot of work on that. I will say that the variability or the, the, the CV coefficient of variation actually goes down oftentimes using subjective data and especially using round number, round digits. So say six or seven rather than six and a half or seven and a half. Um, and the, the skill of the technician or the professor um, providing that rating um, uh, is critical. So, you know, to be calibrated to your professor, if you're a student watching this and you're going out and giving turf grass ratings, it's critical that you're calibrated to your professor. However, he or she is rating the study. Um, you need to be calibrated him. So if you're assigning it a seven and your professor is assigning it a six, you need to be calibrated to him or her. Okay. Cause I'm assuming he or she has, you know, 
years and years of experience rating these trials. If you're not calibrated to him or her, then that's how things can get out of whack and the variation goes everywhere. Okay, a potass okay, so this is another critical sentence. And if you didn't read this in the in the um, materials and methods, you'd be walking around looking at what, what where's the source data? Where's the source data? I don't know why they I wanted to see the difference between potassium sulfate and chloride. Where is it? If you but you've got to read the the materials and methods. The, the potassium source data were pulled after discovering that there were no differences in tissue or soil K concentrations due to source. So what does that mean when they say pooled? They have two different potassium sources, which means the power of their study has been divided by two. They're going to look at this source and they're going to look at that source. But when they run the actual analysis of variation, ANOVA, they found that there were no differences between these two potassium sources. What happened with this source and what happened with that source was the same. So when that happens, oftentimes um, researchers will pull the data together into one big lump, and that provides a greater power to their study. So instead of splitting their, their power in half, which gives them a lower ability to determine differences, they pull them together with variables that were no different, and that gives the remaining variables a much greater power and a much uh, greater ability to determine differences among those remaining variables. So that's why you won't see Potassium chloride did this and potassium sulfate did that. It was all the same. And they state that in the materials and methods. Okay. Okay. So we get to the results in discussion. Extractable K in the soil due, well, they just repeat this. So extractable K in the soil due to K source was similar in all analysis. So these data were pooled. Okay. You will not see a difference in this study between potassium sources. Um, so the loony has a question in chat. Would there be a difference between applying K as a granular or a foliar? And I'll, um, <laughs> I'll just give my opinion. Okay. I, I, I'm, I can't just pull up an article. I can pull up an article at some point in the future and go over that. Will there be a differences between applying K as a foliar and a granular when it comes to the beneficial response of the turf grass to those two sources? the chances are extremely good that there will not be a difference because there's almost never a response to applied potassium. Almost ever. Okay. What you find in the literature is very consistent with that statement. You will find sometimes potassium does this, sometimes potassium does that, but the overwhelming amount of evidence in the literature will show you, will, will, will conclude that the application of potassium almost never results in a beneficial response. Now, putting greens are a completely separate issue, okay? Putting greens are, are, are different, but even in those cases, oftentimes we don't see potassium uh, resulting in a turf response. So is there a difference between foliar and, and granular? Most cases it's gonna be zero. Now, when it comes to the potential risk, so you're gonna spray out potassium chloride versus spraying out potassium sulfate, um, that could result in a risk in terms of burn, but in terms of any beneficial response, it's probably, it's probably so small you can't detect it. Okay. And I'm sure someone can show me an article where that shows differences. Um, and I could probably pull up an article where there may be differences, but, um, but I would say there'd be very few differences between granular and foliar applied potassium. That's not the case in every element. But with potassium, we hardly ever see a difference, so I, I doubt you'd see any difference between those two. It'd probably be basically zero for both, 
<laughs> unless unless you already have a diagnosed potassium deficiency and the turf is obviously showing a potassium deficiency symptoms and you've taken a soil test and it shows potassium deficiency then in those cases maybe you'll see a difference between the two forms of application but um but i would say in general you won't see much good question all right tiff dwarf had higher potassium concentrations in leaf tissues than tiff whey regardless of potassium rate so what this is saying is the putting green grass had higher concentrations of potassium than tiff whey the reason i highlighted this is because uh not so much in lawn care you guys can correct me if i'm wrong but in golf for sure oftentimes we get companies coming in and doing tissue analysis and saying oh your tiff your your tiffed whey or is whatever one and a half parts per million or one and a half percent potassium and it should be two percent or whatever and your tiff eagle is two percent it should be two and a half percent or some whatever one and one and a half whatever the number is and i'm like how the heck do they know that i mean i've done a lot of tissue analysis in my life and, and it's so variable it i mean you know how do you how do you know that that well, I, I don't even know where they're pulling these these data from but this right here is showing the same species but different cultivars differed so putting green grass had higher concentrations than a fairway grass or in, in lawn care it'd be you know the lawn type grass so you, you you have you have a pool of data from both of these populations so good that you can tell differences between them I, I, i'm very skeptical of that okay so so i i'm not a real big fan of of leaf tissue analysis for the average turf manager but uh for for scientists it's useful but for the average turf manager i i doubt i i would i would question that practice for sure okay observations on bermuda grass spring growth in the field each year indicated no differences in winter hardiness due to k fertilizations table two so you can go down here in table two and you can see all these numbers which probably mean a bunch of gobbledygook to most people um, i can go over that if i guess you want to but you can read the sentence observations so they're out there and they're actually measuring the response visually on bermuda spring growth in the field each year indicated there's no differences in winter hardiness so in auburn alabama on at this time uh, using these two bermuda grasses there was no no difference in winter hardiness due to k fertilizations despite low temperatures during this winter winter kill of field plots did not occur recovery of spring turf grass color was slower and k deficiency was evident on plots that did not receive k but winter injury was not different from that on plots that received K. So what the, what he's saying, what the Dr. Miller here is saying is, is that the plots, the turf grass that did not receive potassium were showing potassium deficiencies. But the winter injury was not different from that on plots that received the potassium. Okay. <laughs> he tries to, you know, kind of, open leave it leave it open door here it says this does not preclude an absolute requirement for potassium and increasing winter resistance so um yeah so although i would absolutely bring a guest on if i had any idea how to do that <laughs> I, I i i have zero ability to, to, to i'm you you have to understand that the difficulty it took for me to do what i'm doing now on this thing i was like what in the world so 
if anyone can show me how to bring a guest on and have them see my screen on their end, please help me out. I'm a, I'm asking for help. So so I'd be I, I'm, my goal in the long run is actually to bring the authors of these papers on. I mean, I don't I'm sure Grady would love to come on and talk to me about his paper. And, and you know, there's other professors who would I, I would think would be happy to discuss their papers, but I don't know how to do it. <laughs> so uh, so I'm, I'm still trying to figure that out, although I appreciate the, the comment. Um, results from the electrolyte leakage test and glasshouse regrowth also indicated that applied K had no effect. So we have observations on Bermuda grass in the field, spring regrowth. We have the electrolyte leakage test in the glasshouse, glasshouse with the uh, uh, rhizomes. I guess, yeah, yeah. And we're not seeing any benefit in terms of its resistance to cold tolerance or recovery or whatever. Resistant, yeah, resistance to low temperature. Okay, I'm just going through here and highlighting the the, the 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 sort of the points that I wanted to make sure were clear because it seems like my, I'm trying to get my videos down to like 15 minutes and I, <laughs> I tend to seem like it's 30 or 40 minutes. Anyway, uh, this indicates that the killing temperature of both grasses generally fell between zero and six, or I'm sorry, negative six and negative eight degrees centigrade. So that's like 15 and I don't know, probably like. 20, 15 and 20 degrees Fahrenheit, something like that. So that's good to know. I mean, that the, the temperatures that would likely result in death or killing them are, are 15 or 20 degrees Celsius. So, um, <laughs> yeah, J, J Pink can definitely uh, school me when it comes to, um, to how to do these things. I appreciate that, Jack. <laughs> so um, I wanted, let's just look at here at figure five. This is um, extractable potassium on the y-axis, and then we have the months on the x-axis with the varying rates of potassium being applied, okay, from 0 to 390. On um, This was on TIFF dwarf and TIFF way. Okay, TIFF dwarfs on top, TIFF ways on the bottom. <clears throat> and what you'll see is all these bars and, and um, icons and so forth. And what reason I wanted to show this, I'm not sure if I can zoom in on this or not. Let me see if I see if I can mess this up a little bit. Uh, I can't. So I'm going to have to just reduce that down. Okay. I'm sorry. Is that the low end, the zero, which is down here, the zero, which is a zero, which is an O, an open circle on the icon list is very, very low, which is what they stated at the beginning. It's less in this case, extractable K and Oh, this is in kilograms per hectare. Okay. Well, it's very, very low. And you'll see the increased applications of potassium result in greater amounts of potassium being extracted. Okay. So we, in other words, we, he's showing, the author's showing that the application of potassium resulted in more and more potassium in the soil. It's just not resulting in any increase in cold hardiness. <laughs> so he's not just whistling Dixie. He's not just saying, I did this. He's saying, I did this. It, it resulted in increases in, in extractable potassium. It just didn't, it didn't result in any increase in cold tolerance. Okay. So that this is, you know, these are always good to see. Okay, let's continue. So the maximum K rate. Oh, did I, you did, uh, let's see. Why did I highlight this? <clears throat> okay, so the maximum K rates used by these authors were 488 kilograms per hectare per year, which is quite high. Um, I think that's uh, roughly, was that 10 pounds, something like that? 
These authors applied single applications, da da da, da Adam, okay. And then he's basically showing the rates that other authors use. Rates used in this study, the one Dr. the Miller study, and, and may uh, may have been, per, oh, oh, may have used in these studies, may have been providing a sufficient level of K, but they do not represent the high rates. In other words, he's showing other authors that that apply potassium at their rates, but they don't they didn't represent the highest rate that are commonly used by today's turf grass manager right up here. Okay, trying to improve winter cold hardiness. So a second reason that the results may differ from this study to the other studies is due to plant part use. So he used rhizomes and the other ones might not have done that. So he's just simply trying to explain why there might be differences between what he found and what other other uh, other authors have found so these authors i have to go back and read these these authors might have found there was a benefit to applying potassium at that but these are you they're using low rates they're using sort of normal rates in in cases where you want to apply copious amounts of potassium thinking that it's actually going to result in even more cold hardiness um, that's what this study did dr miller study did and he said either he's concluding that it didn't provide any benefit okay uh, Tiffway turf was found to be harder than Tiff Dwarf, which is common. You see uh, the, the, the turf grasses cut at, say, 5 millimeters. The putting green grasses tend to be less hardy than, say, fairway grasses that are cut at you know half an inch or an inch or whatever. Well, fairway wouldn't be cut at an inch, but like a, a home lawn might be cut at an inch. Um, so we see that the, the, the taller cut grasses and those species tend to be more hardy. Okay, so this is the last sentence in the conclusion. Potassium is very active in plant water relations, serving in an osmoregulatory osmo capacity since winter kill is often the result of desiccation damage. The potassium concentration, the potassium concentration controlling water status in the plant may play a role in cold st stress resistance. So he's saying this might happen. This is sort of how it functions, and this is how this is why it, it might be of value. However, Bermuda grass may accumulate more potassium than is necessary, and this is this this uh, hyper accumulation or like luxury consumption. This I don't know why people harp on this so much. I mean, this happens. the The plant isn't going to take up exactly the same amount of nutrient that it needs at all times of the year. In other words, if it needs um, let's say it needs 0.1 pounds of nitrogen per growing month. It's not going to take up exactly that. So there, there, it may be slightly less, it might be slightly more, but a number of nutrients might be taking up at an amount um, greater than the amount that it would use. Okay. I don't know. I don't know why everybody talks about it. I think maybe it's a selling point. You apply it. Maybe it luxury consumes it so it can be used. Well, yeah, that happens with a lot of different nutrients. Um, whether or not that actually results in a value to the plant is another topic, but the, the, the um, uh, consumption of an element um, to exactly align with the need of that element is, I don't even know if that ever happens. Okay. So maybe someone can correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. And an absolute concentration necessary for a specific physiological function is difficult to determine. Results from this study suggest high K rates do not enhance Bermuda grass rhizome cold resistance. So high K rates do not. It's not saying normal, but high K rates do not. These data indicate there may be no benefit to using high rate uh, rates beyond those provided that provides sufficient K levels for normal growth. Remember, he only measured it from the high K rates. He didn't measure it from the low K rates. 
because they didn't have enough space. They didn't have enough resources in the lab to measure every K rate. They only measured the high ones. So all they can conclude is that the high ones did not result in any benefit in terms of cold resistance or, or winter kill. Uh, the plant can use only so much K and applications of excessive amounts cost time and money. Frequent cutting with clippings, removal, and losses of available K by leaching and fixation must be considered in arriving at K application rates required to maintain adequate K levels in Bermuda grass plant. So that's just a summation. I'm not sure why they added that in at the end. They didn't measure that. It's in the conclusions. I'm not, not sure why they added that or why they were allowed to add that. Um, so basically what this study is showing is that in Auburn, Alabama, I'm going to sum this up real quick. In Auburn, Alabama, on Bermuda grass putting green, on Tiftdorf, and on uh, Fairway or on, on Lawn Bermuda, I guess, uh, the applications of high rates of potassium do not result in any increased cold resistance ability or tolerance to, to cold in this study. It does not mean it won't happen elsewhere. Okay. Now, the reviews uh, articles that I've been going over, those provide a lot more context and a lot more articles. They're looking at the literature as a whole. This was actually part of that review article. But this piece, which is just one piece of the puzzle, shows that under these conditions, we didn't see much benefit, okay, to the on the high rates. He didn't, like I said, if, if the, the low rates, particularly on low potassium uh, soils, or uh, it would, would may, may may result in that, may provide a benefit. Now, remember, they, they showed that the observation, they didn't see any benefit to the the observation let's see if uh, if i can go down there the observation was i had it highlighted the observations right here the observations on bermuda grass spring growth in the field year indicated no differences due to k fertilization okay so in this case you know in that particular example they didn't just measure the high rates they measured all the rates and they didn't see spring regrowth affected by it at all okay so Having said that, that's what I'm sort of hoping to do on this channel is to kind of go over one article, talk about how they did it, talk about what the value is to you. And the value in this particular instance to you is if you're measuring Bermuda, if you're managing Bermuda grass in, in or around Auburn, Alabama, in that area of the country, um, if you have low soil K, which is what this had, if your turf grass was exhibiting K deficiencies, which is what this turf was, and you apply very, very high rates of potassium, you're not going to see much benefit in terms of cold hardiness. Okay. Okay. Some things up the, um, what I talked about earlier, I'm trying my best to get a Dean on here. I think I have one coming on here soon, uh, to discuss the hierarchy of evidence. Okay. Um, the Dean's going to talk about, well, I don't know what they're going to talk about, but I mean, we're going to discuss the hierarchy of evidence and what it means to show this article versus a review article versus an observation in the field. We're going to try to go over that sometime. It might not be this week, but it'll try to maybe be next week. Um, so look forward to that. Don't forget, if you are interested in having a conversation with me or have me help you with um, your turf grass related, specifically soil related issues with your turf, you can go to calendly.com slash Travis Shaddix. Click on the Soil Turf Grass Consulting link here and you can go and find my calendar. If my calendar pops up, you can select whatever time. It is for a fee and we can sit and go over your soil testing. We can go over your fertilizer blends. We can find a way to make your business more efficient, make them more money, 
less impactful to the environment, whatever you're looking to to do to your your program, um, that's available now. And I I, I I'm not going to swear that it's perfect because I haven't done it yet, um, but we'll see how it goes. So I ask for a little bit of patience while I try to figure this this whole thing out. So with that, guys, I really appreciate everybody showing up and participating in the chat. I uh, hope you find this useful. If you'd like to see something else, please, please let me know in the chat or comment. Send me an email. Um, I, I look forward to, to hearing your, your responses and how I can make this content better for you all. Thanks a bunch, guys. We'll see you next time.